Good morning. Carol's not coming up, but she's right down here, and you'll get a chance to know her. Thank you for um, uh, loaning us your pastor. He's been a, our pastor uh, in France for the last seven, eight years, and, uh, and that's how we've got to know them and developed such a, a, a close friendship and a love, uh, and so we're... Uh, when we were coming to council, we said we have to come early and spend some time with Jesse and Nancy and, and get to know you, and, and so uh, it's a real privilege uh, to, to be here with you. It's just a couple years ago, Carol and I were um, in our small apartment in the southern part of Paris, and uh, we were home. It was a Friday evening. We hadn't had anything going on that evening, and so uh, it was actually a little bit before uh, 10 o'clock. It was early, and, and yet uh, I'm getting to the age when if there's nothing going on, I decided to go to bed, and so uh, Carol was still out in the living room, and I went in and 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 went to bed, lay down, plugged in my phone, and and uh, was just about asleep. And my phone started lighting up and beeping, and and all kinds of things happening. And I picked it up, and the first note was from my son, who uh, is a missionary and serves in the Middle East. And uh, it was a text, and he said, "Are you okay?" And I thought, that's really unusual. I'm, off, I'm sometimes emailing him or texting him and says, uh, with everything going on in the Middle East, how are you doing? But this was, uh, he was sending a text, are you okay? And then as I, I, I looked at the phone and, and looked at the news, uh, saw other notes about a terrorist attack in the city of Paris. It began about 9.30 at night when three men with suicide belts tried to get into the soccer stadium where the president was actually watching a match. Uh, when they saw that they couldn't get through the turnstiles without being searched, they uh, backed out, but they uh, really activated their suicide belts and and blew themselves up right out there uh, outside uh, of the stadium. About the same time, another group of armed gunmen started shooting at people in a sidewalk cafe in the 10th district in Paris, and then a third group of men with automatic weapons and explosive belts rushed into a theater where there was a concert going on, uh, shooting and taking hostages. A few hours later, as the French police uh, stormed the concert hall. All the attackers were either shot or they blew themselves up. But in the three attacks, 130 people were killed, including 89 in the Bataclan Theater. Another 400 people were injured. And that day remains engraved in the hearts and minds of Parisians, kind of like September 11, 2001 does in the hearts and minds of Americans. It was a Friday night, and so... I remember that two days later in church, Carol and I have had the privilege for the last eight years to pastor an English-speaking uh, international church right in the heart of Paris. And uh, it's a very multicultural church. We have about 35 different nationalities represented. And as we gathered for worship that Sunday, we were wondering, you know, how do you even address this kind of, this kind of evil in our world? And what we did is we took one of the lament psalms, uh, the Psalms where David cries out about the evil in our world and, and what God followers do when they're overwhelmed 
by the evil of our world. Paris is a large city as we gathered for worship that Sunday. We weren't really aware as we began to talk uh, amongst ourselves of anyone in the church that had been directly uh, affected by the attacks. But a young man uh, named Michael showed up at our Genesis Center the next week. Genesis is a uh, a small building that's really a ministry center. We don't own a, a, a building, so we rent on Sundays, but we have this small building that churches in the United States helped us to, to, uh, to finance, and uh, this is our kind of activity center, ministry center. Anything we do there, English conversation classes, music, anything that will attract people to, to come in, maybe people that would never darken the door of a church, but they'll come to kind of this neutral ground and they'll come to work on their English skills or come to see an art uh, exhibit or, or to hear music. And, and so then that gives us the opportunity to share the good news. Michael uh, came from a, a North African family with most of his extended relatives uh, being Muslim, although his father had had some interest in Christianity. Uh, he'd spent some time in the U.S., so his English was good, and he just found us on this website for uh, practicing English. And so he came to the Genesis Center for the first time the week right after the attacks, and he, he uh, seemed to enjoy the English class and and uh, everyone that had left, and uh, we usually have a, a coffee pot on, and people can stay and visit a little bit afterward, and, and Michael was staying, and I really kind of wanted to go home. Everybody else was gone, and Michael was still there and just kind of hanging out, and, and we'd talked, and I'd got to know him, and, and finally I said, Michael, I think it's time. I'm going to close up. I'm, I'm ready to, to go home. Uh, what are you, you know, what's going on with you? And he said, well... The reason why I really didn't want to leave is I have to go to the hospital. My friend was, was critically injured in the, in the attack on Friday night. And he's in the hospital in the, in the uh, intensive care. And they don't know if he's going to make it. And his whole family is there. And, and, and I have to go and I don't know what to say. And uh, I said, oh, Michael, I, I don't think I know what to say either. But could I, could I pray for you? Would it be okay if I would just pray and, and, and ask God to, 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 to help you and, and, and give you wisdom? And Michael's eyes kind of got big and lit up. He said, would you do that? I said, I'd be delighted to. And so we just uh, bowed our heads right there, and I just said a, a, a simple prayer asking God to go with Michael, to give him wisdom, to give him uh, uh, direction as he went into the hospital. And, and that opened a door, just that simple encounter opened a door uh, for Michael. He kept coming back to the English classes, and before long, he, he, he said he wanted to attend church, and he began uh, attending church at Trinity as well. Uh, the theme for our, our CMA Missions Conference this year has been Awaken to Kingdom Reality. I had to wake up that Friday evening, November 13, 2015, because terrible things were happening in our city. In Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus warns his disciples that many bad things will happen between the time of his first coming and his second coming. Between the time of his death and resurrection, before his return in power. And because of that, he calls his followers to, to wake up, 
to awaken to kingdom realities. He wants us to wake up so that we can live in this age in ways that will honor him and glorify him and, and speed his return. And so if you want to follow along in your Bibles or uh, on the screen, I want to just read the first 14 verses of Matthew 24, uh, and then we'll look at this passage together, uh, Matthew 24, and then the three stories of Matthew 25. We won't read all of that, but I just want to read the first 14 verses uh, for you, and, and, and then we'll look at what, what Jesus means when he calls us to awaken to kingdom reality. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is God's word. We didn't read all of Matthew 24 and 25, but if you remember in the, the next chapter, Jesus tells three parables, three stories where he illustrates what he's talking about here in Matthew chapter 24. And he calls his followers to wake up to the light of him being king in this world that doesn't yet recognize that he's king. So much of this world hasn't yet submitted to, to his kingship, and he shows us that we can do that when we're, when we're always ready, we're always investing, and we're always serving. Uh, when Jesus uh, told these first stories, the first parable he said was that we should always be ready, living in love with, with our coming king. He said when, when bad things happen in our world, like terrorist attacks, like natural disasters, that that's just the beginning of birth pains. And so we shouldn't be shaken by that. It's just the beginning that there will be all throughout this age these evil things that happen in our world. Uh, as international workers, we've... We've, we've lived far from our kids and our grandkids most of the time, but uh, last time when we were home on a home assignment in 2015, our, our youngest daughter got married, and then uh, before we were coming home this year for a home assignment in, in, in Paris, uh, the Christmas before we left, we got the news that she was pregnant with their, 
with their first child and uh, that it would be due right about the time we were coming home for our home assignment. We thought, well, that's great timing. And so we, uh, we figured out the due date and kind of scheduled our, uh, our arrival to, to, uh, to be there when she came. So uh, we returned home last summer, in June 22nd, and Kiri was born July 3rd. Uh, and the reason why I tell you that is, is I think young parents today are so much more prepared for, for their kids than, than Carol and I were when our kids came. And they, they had a go bag packed and they had taken all these classes and they were ready. So even though Kiri came a few days early, they, they were ready uh, for her to come. And of course, I tell you that too, so I can show a picture of my new granddaughter. I mean, what, what grandfather doesn't want to do that? So I had to work that in some way, you know. But, but Jesus told his disciples they would be persecuted and hated. He said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many people will grow cold. And it is easy sometimes in the church to, to get involved in all kinds of activities, but we forget that what God is calling us to is to love him with all of our being and to love our neighbor as ourselves. When, when Jesus was asked, what was the greatest commandment? He said, without hesitation, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're to love your neighbor is yourself. And the problem of the Ephesian church in, in Revelation chapter 2, do you remember the story of that church? The problem of that church was it was full of activity and full of good things and full of even orthodox theology. But Jesus said, you've forsaken your first love. Uh, what is that? that? That first love, that first love when we when we met Jesus, when we knew that our, that, that our sins were forgiven, when, when uh, we knew that, that, that we were in a relationship with the God who made us. And Jesus talks about that church in Ephesus. And he says, for all your hard work, for all your patient endurance, for all even your orthodox belief, he had to say to them, I have something against you. You've forsaken your first love. And in, in the fall of 1972, see, I was young once too, uh, I started to fall in love with a young lady that I met in Bible college. We were at what was then the St. Paul Bible College in Minnesota, and, and I, I wanted to be with her. I wanted to hang out with her whenever possible. I asked her to help me study for exams. She always laughs about that one. Uh, I don't know how much studying we got done. Uh, wh whenever I was not with her, I felt this ache in my heart. Uh, one of the stories that we laugh about now is uh, I drove a little yellow Volkswagen Bug. Do you remember Volkswagen Beetles, uh, those, the Volkswagen Bugs? The, uh, that was a good car, but it was not, uh, it was not good for the winters in Minnesota. Uh, it was more like a southern climate car. It's good for Florida. But the, the, the heater controls were down on the floor, and you'd open that up wide, and it still would hardly defrost the windows. Uh, it just, it, the, the heater did not work in a cold winter. One uh, weekend, we had decided to drive down. Carol's family lived in Iowa from uh, Minneapolis down to, uh, to Iowa, and, 
And I, I, I was happy. We were together. We got in the car, and we were headed out, and Carol fell asleep with the blanket around her. And, uh, uh, and, and I was driving, and I got kind of bored, and, and all the windows were frosted up. I only had the, the windshield clear, and it was hard to even keep the windshield clear. And so I was a little bit bored. I was doodling in the frost on the driver's side window, and I wrote, I love you, Carol, and promptly drove into the ditch. Uh, so first love, for me, maybe it was a little stupid, <laughs> but extravagant, that always time for the beloved to always be ready to live in love with this coming king. That's, that's what Jesus is calling us to. Malcolm was a young man living in the Paris area, and Pastor Jesse said, you're going to meet him next week, so I'm not going to tell you too much of his story, but uh, just uh, enough to tell you Malcolm was, was going through a very difficult time. He was from Ireland, but he w had married a French girl, and they were living in Paris, and uh, they were going through a divorce, and Malcolm was, was having some problems with addictions and struggling with that, and, and uh, he decided he needed to change something in his life. So uh, he used to be a runner. So he went on, uh, uh, he started running again, and he wanted some, some kind of some help, some encouragement as he was running. And he went on a website, and just by chance, uh, uh, directed by God, of course, he connected with a, a young international worker who was working with us at Trinity. His name was Tim. Tim loved to run as well. And they made a connection, and they began to run together. And then one day... Uh, as Tim got to know Malcolm, he'd invited him home, and they'd had meals together. Uh, Tim said to Malcolm, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to be leading worship at our church next Sunday afternoon. We have a, a Sunday afternoon service because we rent, and he says, I'm going to be playing the guitar and singing. Would you like to come? Malcolm wasn't sure about this worship thing or this church thing, really, to tell you the truth, but he liked Tim. And because Tim was there and because Tim invited him, Malcolm decided to come. And uh, that was Malcolm's introduction to hearing the good news. And he was surprised that people accepted him. People loved him, even with, with, with some of his rough edges. And, and even though that sometimes his language was not always the, 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 the kinds of words that you heard in church, uh, no one was, uh, was too shocked. And no one said, oh, Malcolm, you can't talk like that. But they came around him. They loved him and embraced him. And over time, Malcolm gave his life to Christ. He's now completed a pastoral training program and he's serving the Lord in our church there in Paris as, a, as a, an associate pastor. This first parable of the, of the young ladies reminds us to always be ready. But the second parable uh, about the three servants who were given some money and, and told to invest it reminds us to always be investing what the king has given to us. Like Tim, who had time for Malcolm, not only to invite him to church, but also invited him into his home or, or for a meal or just to hang out. As we use our gifts to invest in God's kingdom, God takes what we have and multiplies it for his glory. Fali is a, a, a little Cambodian lady who actually was married to the good friend of King Sihanouk 
of Cambodia. And so she had the king of the country come to her wedding in Cambodia. And she had this big fancy wedding that the king attended. You know, but what seemed like a dream story turned into a nightmare when the Khmer Rouge took over the country of Cambodia. Uh, the Khmer Rouge killed her father. They killed her husband. And Fali was taken and, and her infant daughter was separated from her. And she was put into what they called the re-education camp. And for her, that meant that she went out to the rice field every day and worked all day long in the rice field. Uh, she'd never really been a manual labor. But for two years, that, that was how they re-educated Fali. And then at the end of those two years, she was re-educated, according to the government, and she was released. And the first thing that she did is, is took off for the border and was able to cross the border over into a refugee camp in Thailand. And it just so happened there were international workers with the Christian Missionary Alliance that were working in that refugee camp and helping to receive people that were coming out of the terrible killing fields from Cambodia at that period of time. And Fali uh, heard the gospel for the first time. And she gave her life to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And a few years later, she was allowed to emigrate to, to France. And, and Fali moved to Paris. And she began attending Trinity International Church long before I was there. She's, she's one that's been there for a long time. But that's how uh, I got to know uh, Fali and, and hear Fali's story. Fali holds no grudge about the difficult turn her life took, her time as a refugee, or, or even of these people who killed her father and killed her husband. She's learned to forgive. She's learned to invest in God's kingdom. She's never had a lot of money, but Fali comes to church an hour early. Uh, to set up a time, we have a fellowship time, like you kind of have your coffee shop. We have a fellowship time with something to, to eat and drink right after our service because it's in the afternoon. And so uh, then people come into the dining hall and get something to eat and drink. And Folly comes every Sunday to, to set that up. And then she always stays. She's the last one to clean everything up. Everyone else is gone and Folly's sweeping and, and cleaning and putting things away. Uh, Folly wants to invest in the kingdom. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable of three servants who each received a different sum of money, and they were told to invest it in the king's absence. You remember that story? The first two invested wisely, had something to show the king when he returned. But the third servant said, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Here, now, here's your original investment back. But what did the king say? He said, you're a wicked and lazy servant because you refuse to invest in my kingdom. The point is clear. Not all of us have the same amount of resources or gifts and you know, the good news is that we're never called to account for what we don't have, but we are encouraged to be investing what the master has given to us for something that will last. Some like Carol and I have been called to invest in other countries with people of other languages, uh, other cultures. Not everyone is called to that kind of an investment, but we're all given something and we're called to invest for the king. And, of course, our motivation is the joy of the master as he declares, well done, 
my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you larger responsibilities. I can just imagine Folly in that last day. You know, she's never preached a sermon. She's never uh, given a large sum in the offering, to my knowledge. She's never sang on a worship team, but she's invested what she had, her time, her love into kingdom reality. And in our church in Paris, everyone knows her. We call her anti-Folly. And everyone knows Folly because of her smile and because of her love and because of her investment. She hasn't had an easy life, but she's never become angry or bitter and never forgot to invest the resources that God has given her into his kingdom. And then the last story that Jesus tells is a story where he encourages us to always be serving. There are a lot of people in our day and age who don't want to listen to our witness until they see our love. I, I, I tell people in France, even though it has this long history of Christianity, many people today have a negative opinion of God and a negative opinion of his church. When the French went through the French Revolution and, and, and they rejected the king. At that point, they really rejected the church too because it was a state church and the royalty was so connected with the church. And so when they, when they cut the head off of the king, in many ways, they, they, they cut the head off of their idea of Christianity and their idea of faith and the church too. And, and we find here living in the U.S., that there are, it's almost becoming similar that many people have been hurt by the church. They have a negative opinion uh, of the church because someone who called themselves a Christian has, has, has hurt them or been hypocritical to them. Uh, Lauren was a young lady who showed up at Trinity, and she as well had begun an addiction program. Uh, oftentimes at the close of, of our service, we just would invite people if they uh, would like to just to come forward if they, if they have something that they would like someone to pray with them about. And Lauren very hesitantly came up one Sunday at the close of the service and, uh, and began to tell her story. Uh, as we prayed with her that day, uh, my wife Carol had a, had a Bible study with a lot of young ladies Lauren's age. And so uh, I introduced Lauren to Carol and said, you know, would you like to to, to, to join this Bible study. And Lauren was a little hesitant, but she came the next Tuesday and, and, and she began to come faithfully. And after a couple weeks, one evening, she began to kind of uh, hesitantly open uh, herself up and, and, and tell her story. She'd been, she'd been hurt by uh, a church, and I don't remember the particular situation, but by people in a church. And she was uh, really kind of hesitant, and as she was sharing that story at, at the Bible study uh, that night, Carol actually began to just just began to weep and 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 apologized for uh, the church. And and Lauren said, "But it wasn't you. You didn't have anything to do with it." But but Carol said, "Yes, I'm a part of the church. It was me. It was it was it was the church that hurt you." And 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 so I'm I'm so sorry. And that broke something. In, in Lauren as she saw Carol uh, apologize and Lauren uh, gave her life to Christ and uh, 
this was the, the Bible study group of, of just a, a, a bunch of young ladies, and, and Lauren began to grow. And before uh, Lauren left Paris to go back to London, we had the privilege of, of baptizing her and then sending her back to, uh, to her country and back to serve in London. The church is Christ's body. We're his hands and his feet in this world. And sadly, many people have been wounded by the church. While Jesus wants us to serve those around us in love. I, I love that song by Casting Crowns. You probably know it. It says, a traveler's far away from home. He sheds his coat and quietly sinks into the back row. The weight of their judgmental glances tell him that his chances are better out on the road. But Jesus paid much too high a price for us to pick and choose who should come, and we're the body of Christ. But if we're his body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? And if we're his body, why aren't his feet going? Why is love not showing them that there's a way? It doesn't take much to look around our world and to realize that although God's rule and reign have come into this world in the person of the Messiah, it's not yet fully governed by our king. The kingdom has come to earth. Jesus is the king, and yet the kingdom is not yet here in its overwhelming power. That day is coming when every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But until then, as, as C.S. Lewis says, we live in enemy-occupied territory. He says that's what, the, that's what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling all of us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. When you go to church, you're really listening into the secret wireless from our friends. Now, that's kind of old language. That's World War II language. But wouldn't that revamp our idea of church if we realized as we come here, we are coming to be renewed, to be refocused, to, to be revisioned, to go out into the enemy-occupied territory in the name and for the glory of our king. That's what Jesus told his disciples. You're to continue to do what, what, what I did and what I taught you to do. The New Testament church is one who continues the ministry of Jesus. Jesus said he came to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. And so that last story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25, the story is a a parable about the sheep and the goats. And he calls his followers to serve the least of these. Masood showed up in our church as an Iranian refugee, fleeing his country, looking for a better life. He'd come through many difficult situations. And in fact, he had traveled by land all the way from Iran across the whole country of Turkey and had come into Greece where he was jailed for a while because he came in without any papers. He came in actually looking for asylum and asking for asylum. And uh, later then he was allowed to, to come to Paris and to apply for asylum. Our church reached out to him because while you're applying for asylum, you're not allowed to work. And so he had nothing. 
And so for over a year, a member of our church gave him a spare room and, 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 and our church reached out to him to, to help him, to encourage him. And now Masood has received asylum in France, found a job, but our church was able to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus for Masood when he had literally nothing. The last verse of the passage we read this morning, verse 14, says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. I don't know if you know or not, but that was the verse that motivated A.B. Simpson to start a movement that was willing to send missionaries around the world because he believed that this gospel of the kingdom needed to penetrate into every language group, into every people group around the world before Jesus would return, that Jesus had left us something to do. And so we needed to be about that to hasten his return. And so in 1884, before the, the CMA actually was even uh, established as a denomination because we uh, count our birthday from 1887. But in 1884, the Alliance sent five missionaries to the Congo, what was then the Belgian Congo. Since then, it, it was known as Zaire. I think now it's the Democratic Republic of Congo. I can't keep up with the names of some of those countries. The names change so quickly. But of those five pioneer missionaries sent to the Con Congo, John Condit died of malaria at age 20 before three months in the country. Three of the other five quit, and only one remained. Between 1888 and 1908, 20 years there, the Alliance sent 96 missionaries to the Congo. Of those 96 missionaries, 29 died of usually tropical diseases. 49 quit because it was so hard, and only 18 remained. And so, in 1908, when the few Alliance workers gathered for what was their field conference, they actually considered closing the field because it was so hard and because it was so difficult. But I'm so glad that they didn't because today, one of the largest CMA churches in the world is in the Congo. And this Sunday as church, Alliance churches in the Congo meet. There are 1.5 million believers in the Congo. That's why the Bible encourages us, wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And I long for that day, 1.5 million believers in France, in Jordan, in the Guinea, in other places of the world that are difficult. But as we do what God has called us to do, as we wake up to the kingdom realities by always being ready, always investing, and always serving, the Lord Jesus will do his part as well.